Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We here are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Uh, before we get any further, just wanted to briefly, again, encourage everyone to interact with the product a little bit. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, review, any and all of it helps. If you've already done that, just the sharing, I think, is probably the most important thing. You can tell people about us. And that helps the show tremendously. So I thank you all very, very much for that. Uh, I mentioned this the last couple of episodes. We hit a nice little growth spike over the last month and a half or so. So uh, thank you. That's mostly down to you people. I try to keep my con my uh, content, my quality consistent content as well. So if you guys are starting to share that around and helping us gain traction, that is the lion's share of that. So thank you very, very much to anyone newer. Welcome. Yeah, happy to have you. I've been doing this for a l longer than I care to admit in terms of years. So thank you all very much. Uh, all right. With that out of the way, we're going to be talking mostly about UFC 270 tonight. That was the big pay-per-view event, the UFC's first pay-per-view event of the year. Two title fights and not a great supporting cast in terms of name value, but we got a lot of first round finishes, some of them pretty sweet. So we'll go over all of the results, and that's kind of all I've got. Not a lot of news this last week. Everyone was kind of gearing up for this, and uh, so that's going to be the lion's share of the show. We'll see if anything crazy breaks between now and then. But as we get into that, I have a special treat for all of you. Longtime listener to the program will recognize this person. Again, if you're one of the newer group, this is might be your first exposure to him, but he's around here whenever he so chooses to be. I'm happy to have him on whenever he's available. But 411 Mania is jack of all trades because he's in pretty much every zone at some point or another. Jeffrey Harris is back with us. Jeff, it's been a while. How the heck are you? It's been a while. Happy New Year to you, Robert. Happy New Year to the podcast. Sorry for my lateness coming in. Uh, and uh, wow, Skype. What is going on over here? It's like uh, Skype and Microsoft and Outlook. It's all this craziness. But here we are. Thank you, Robert. And ready to talk some UFC, UFC 270. All right, let's jump into that then. And let's start with UFC, because okay, so UFC 270, main event, the heavyweight championship of the UFC, champion Francis Ngannou defending his title against interim champion Cyril Gaon. I've got to eat some crow on this one as far as my prediction goes. I predicted a gone win. I scored it for him. I will stand by that. However, uh, that's not a hit. that's not to say that giving it to Ngannou is wrong by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there was one score that before we get into the fight itself, I want to briefly yell about. Um, Sal D'Amato, that semi-sentient can of soup, who for some reason continues to be hired to judge professional fights. Gave this four rounds to one to Francis Ngannou, and that is an utterly indefensible score. You scored this three to two for Ngannou, cool. You give him rounds three, four, and five. I'm not arguing with you. Uh, I disagree about the fifth round and only the fifth round, but that's largely a degree of that's a degree of nuance, and there's enough room for interpretation that I'm not going to insult anyone for scoring the fight that way. Giving Ngannou either the first or the second round is some pretty hefty and rank bs uh i i i can't that blows my mind that that this idiot is still getting hired uh 
stop hiring this man. He's no good. He's no good at his job. Um, that said, uh, the first two rounds played out kind of how I thought they would. Third round is where things changed. Francis Ngannou timed a, a high kick or a body kick uh, above the waist from Serial Gone, got a takedown, and turns out he's got some decent top control. Uh, he was able to get some mat returns when Gone would build back up, and he just, throughout rounds three and four, won them pretty handily uh, with takedowns and top control. He never found a lot of success striking. Uh, he missed a lot of punches, some of them pretty badly. But Gone was never able to really uh, get free once he was able to wall walk. Fifth round is where I draw a distinction. Gone does good work for about a minute and a half uh, on the feet, then gets a takedown, set, settles into top position, and here I owe an apology to Gone and one to Francis Ngannou as well. There's a moment when in, when Gone on top looks like he drops back for a leg lock, and this. If that had been the case, that's one of the boneheaded, most boneheaded decisions you could ever make. There's no reason to do that. None whatsoever. I looked at that clip again. And Cyril Gon does not, apropos of nothing else, drop back for a leg. He gets swept. Uh, he brings his left leg up under him to facilitate either just changing position, starting a pass, what have you, any number of reasons he could do that. And Ganu times it and he chops his right leg under that leg, so it drops uh, Gon to a hip. He then uses an underhook on his left side, Ganu, off-balances and drops Gon to his back. It was a really nice sweep, was missed in real time by everyone, me included. And it's actually to Gon's credit that he was able to turn that into a legitimate leg attack, rather than just get stuck on his back immediately. So, uh I need to, I owe an apology to Gon for potentially insulting his intelligence in that situation. And a little bit more kudos to Francis Ngannou for hitting a really nice sweep. So, uh, I still score the fifth for Gon because he actually does stuff. Whereas Ngannou just kind of rides out the last two and a half minutes or so on top, doesn't do a whole lot. But if you thought it was enough to give him the round... I don't think it's wrong. I think that's a perfectly defensible scorecard under the scoring criteria. So uh, it kind of is what it is in that respect. So, Jeff, what did you think of the fight? We'll get into the repercussions of this in a second. But the fight itself. Uh, the fight thought, sucked. The fight was fight, everything I hate about heavyweight fights. Yeah. Uh, I knew once it got out of the first round. Uh, I mean, I actually thought it was probably a smart strategy that, you know, Cyril was taking the fight into the later rounds. because so I thought that was ha how he had the best chance to win, but that I was wrong about. But slow, sluggish, terrible cardio, sloppy, sloppy striking, sloppy footwork, sloppy defense. Cyril gone through multiple points was standing right in front of Francis Ngannou with his hands completely down. His hands at his side, standing completely still, head wide open, ripe for the picking, and Francis couldn't do anything. I guess the one thing that kind of impressed me was that Francis Ngannou's takedown defense and grappling were on point, and he didn't get caught in that heel hook, and he was able to stay away from danger. 
And he actually took Cyril down himself. But let's also be honest, Cyril is not like this world-class wrestler and grappler. He he submitted a, a, a couple a couple cab drivers with Wikipedia pages earlier on in his UFC career. Um, but the guys he submitted were not great fighters, Robert. Um, but I was highly uninspired by this fight, this whole matchup and both men's performances were not good. Yeah. I think this fight, if you enjoyed this fight live and to a degree, I did, I think that's based on drama. I don't think this fight is a tremendous amount of rewatch value. Uh, I give Nganu a little I I'm not going to give him a full pass. I'm going to give Nganu his flowers where he deserves them. His cardio wasn't great, but it was certainly better than it has been in the past. Uh he he did too much following, but his footwork in most respects didn't quite fall apart the way that it did when he fought Stipe. When he fought Stipe it just uh imploded. This reminded didn't... me of his loss to Stipe though. Really? Uh, I can see where there are some similarities. And I just, I just thought he was fight, you know, cause he was fighting a, a lesser opponent. He was able to squeak out a victory. And let's also be honest, no matter what the scorecards say, this was not a runaway victory for Francis. No, not at all. Uh, that's actually one of the things I do want to give him credit for as well. He dropped two rounds to a guy who stylistically on the feet had his number and was able to make the requisite adjustments. You know, that's not something there's plenty of other UFC champions who can't do that. So I, I do want to give him credit for that. Uh, again, if, if this is, you know, you know he didn't, your... I'll, I'll credit him for that. Cause he didn't make adjustments in the first fight with Stipe. And, uh, you know, once, once Stipe weathered the storm, so to speak, he completely let the fight get away from him. But still, it reminded me of that fight and the fight with Derek Lewis. So it's hard for me to compliment him. Uh, I see less of the Lewis fight in this um, for a variety of reasons. But again, this was a slower paced fight. And the fact that this had to come on the heels of the flyweight title fight, which we'll get to in a minute or two here, which was. It wasn't quite the back and forth war that their first fight was, but it was still a darn good fight. It's suffered by comparison, uh, to be sure. Now, coming out of this fight, there's a few interesting things. Let's start with the easiest one of these two questions to answer. That being, what do you do with the loser? What do you do with Cyril Gaon? This was his first professional loss. He's 10-1. and one. Uh, Where he goes from here, my assumption would be, uh, would probably be Curtis Blades. I think having seen how this fight plays out, watching Gon fight a dedicated wrestler like Blades is something we kind of need to see. We need to see if he can patch those, uh, if he can address some of those habits. I like that fight. I think that's a great idea. It's a matchup we haven't seen yet, and I would pick Curtis Blades in that fight. Uh. I wouldn't, but I think there's plenty of reason to believe he, he could win that. The other major heavyweight fights we've got going on at the moment, just for, so everyone uh, knows That's what's a up. great fight, you know, if Curtis Blades ever wants to make it back, you know, try to get to the title level, which 
let's be honest, the field, the field at heavyweight is not that impressive or competitive. So a guy like Curtis Blades, you know, coming off a win, it's not going to be that tough if he wants to earn a title shot. The field at heavyweight isn't deep. The problem is there's a couple of guys at the top that create this big log jam. Not only do you have Francis, who Blades has lost to twice, uh, you've got Gone, who's beaten a fair number of decent heavyweights on his way up and might still be a serious problem for most of them. Uh, you've also got uh, Stipe Miocic, allegedly. He's not retired, but boy, has his name been utterly absent from any kind of discussion about the division at the moment. Uh, I mean, we ha- I mean, the whole the whole industry is out of whack now due to the pandemic and a lot that's, of guys. That's true. You know, it's the whole the whole world is slowed down as a result, and it it has affected UFC and MMA as well. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's affected what fighters they have available to them in certain respects. Uh, And also the type of fights that are getting booked and just a lot of I think that's the reason we keep keep getting so many rematches. On the plus side, they've also got the puppy mill going, so that helps. What? That's my that's my uh, nickname for the contender series these days. Oh, oh, because it, it, hang on. And here's my here's my here's my point on that. The first like two seasons of the contender series, they would they were uh, pretty selective about who they gave contracts to. In fact, some people who deserved them did not get them. Uh, very famously, there's a guy in the PFL right now who just I think won uh, their featherweight tournament who was not given a contract. Um, another guy who made his debut in the UFC through other avenues early, uh, late last year won his fight on the Contender Series via wheel kick and was not given a contract. By the time you get to where the Contender Series has been for its last, say, two, three seasons, if you win, you get in the UFC. That's that's how that is. They're just constantly replenishing. They're constantly adding people to the roster like that. Hence uh, the puppy mill comparison. Hashtag cancel Robert Winfrey for the puppies. <laughs> I don't I'm like puppy. Kidding. I don't like puppy mills for the record. They're terrible things. No, 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 no. I was saying that for the comparison. Okay. Fair, I feel like, fair like enough. even though you're making, you, you are making fair points, but just the, I don't, that's, I'm hypersensitive. I'm sorry. It's no, just, no, that, that, that's fair. Again, puppy mills are terrible things for anyone to, for anyone who doesn't know what they are. They're awful. They're, they're genuinely. I was triggered. Things. Let's just say I was triggered by that comparison. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, so but I understand point, what you were getting at, but yeah. Okay. Uh, the point being at the end of it, um, we get a lot of, we're getting a lot of lower level fights because certain fighters are either not available or you know, due to the pandemic, like you said, um, the other heavyweight fights that we have in the near future booked, um, we have a pretty big step up for Tom Aspinall, one of the brighter prospects at the moment. He's fighting Alexander Volkov fairly soon, which is a really good fight. That's We've a also tough fight. got tough test. That's that's a big step up for Aspinall, hundred uh, percent. I'm looking forward to that one. We also have the swangiest and bangiest of fights possible for the heavyweight division when Derek Lewis fights Ty Tuivasa. And I'm picking Derek Lewis there. Uh, that that tends to be my inclination too. Off the uh, Ty Tuivasa is fun to watch, but he's not a good fighter. I'm sorry. 
I he had a I, three I, fight. I he had a three fight losing streak at heavyweight. Come on. Uh, look, I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I kind of favor Lewis there. I I don't know if that will get Lewis back into the heavyweight title picture or not. Um, some of that depends on Francis, and I want to talk specifically about him uh, just in a second or two. Okay, okay. We, look, here here is here here tied to Ivas's last. He he is on a four fight winning streak, but let, let's look at this. One was a win over Stefan Struve in 2020. Mm-hmm. One was a guy named Harry Hunsucker. Mm-hmm. Who is a real human being. Apparently. He's a real was, person. He is a real person. One is Greg Hardy. Yep. And another is Augusto Sakai. Yeah, he's so, coming. Uh, I believe he's coming off the Sakai win, isn't he? Right. So let's yeah. see. Is The only guy who is ranked is Sakai. Yeah, Sakai was ranked when they fought. Which... Even at heavyweight, to me, that's a questionable ranking. Um, I think Sakai's ranking at the time was warranted, but he's uh, that that poor guy. He, he's in a rough spot. So he's still big... ranked now. Yeah, he's still ranked. Yeah, because heavyweight. Um, Hence he's... again, heavyweight is not deep. It's this it's guy really not be ranked. So Lewis might get into the title picture with a win. Uh, the pro. The problem is going to wind up with, uh, again, who he might have to face for the belt. Uh, there's there's also going to be the issue of you know, let's Francis move on to, himself. Let's move on to Francis himself here for a minute or two. First of all, the guy's going to be the guy's going to be out for a while, assuming he's telling the truth about his knee injuries. And I if you choose to disbelieve him, fair enough. But I'm going to take him at face value at the moment. And he took this fight with. uh Bum knees, uh, at least his right leg in particular, I think. Uh, torn MCL, partially torn ACL, something like that. So he's going to need surgery, if nothing else. He's probably out for... So credit to him for that, even though I've kind of been hard on him. But yeah. So he's probably going to be out for at least nine months. Uh, it, that seems to be about the appropriate uh, timetable for a lot of that stuff. Uh, there's variability, of course. Which might actually see him out of his contract, and uh, we'll get to that in a second. But if Francis sticks around, making a rematch between him and Derek Lewis is just a... I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world, but man, is that a big ass given how much their first fight sucked. Uh, that said, you, know, you might have to do it anyway if Lewis is able to get enough quality wins. Uh, the gone loss... A year ago, that was the one Dana White was pushing. Yeah, he tried. He was pushing he that did. fight hard. And then Lewis ran into Gone and just fell apart completely. <laughs> uh, John Jones can't keep his life straight. So yeah, John's, that matchup. John's in. John's theoretically in play. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to factor him too heavily into this until we get something. Theoretically. 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 <laughs> well, look, he's a name. He wants to fight in the division. He's under UFC contract. He's in play to one degree or another. I'm just, I'm not going to factor I'd rather say John Jones is a person. John Jones is a name, is a person that exists. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so John's, again, John's theoretically in play somewhere. Um, But that's, there's just two. John Jones is on Vormir. There's just too big a question mark over John at this point for me to factor him too heavily, but. 
If the UFC announced tomorrow that he was fighting for the belt, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so here's the bigger thing about Francis. In addition to needing the time off to get his knees taken care of, this was the last fight on his contract, and he's one of the first fighters that this has come up for now. Um, for a long time, the UFC had in its contractual language a championship clause that would immediately renew your current deal if you were the champion. They they didn't completely abandon that uh, in mid-2017, like 2017, but they did start adding sunset clauses to their fighter contracts overall. They cannot extend beyond a certain date, a certain time period. In this case, I believe five years. Uh, Is that because of like the lawsuits that yes. are going on and what now? So they have uh, they're trying, so they're trying to be careful or something. Yeah, hundred percent. thing. Okay, um, that makes the, sense. Yeah, the lawsuit they're currently there's a couple of lawsuits against the UFC at the moment. The most relevant one was uh, initially brought by Kung Lee and John Fitch, among other people. And it deals specifically with the time period between like January of 2010 and I think June of 17. Hang on, I have the relevant information. Let me be sure about that. Yeah. Plus December's they're under. Plus they're now under new. You know, they're under. They have new corporate ownership in the last few years, so it makes sense that they would reword the contracts. Yeah, there's um. So that's when they started doing that. There's actually again, there's a second antitrust lawsuit that's been brought by a few other former fighters, among others, Cajun Johnson and CB Dalloway. The time period that they're that um, Kung Lee and John Fitch at all are talking about ends in June of 17. So again, it deals with this very specific time period where they're alleging uh, unfair labor practices, antitrust violations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everything after that is kind of what Johnson and Dalloway and a few others are trying to address. The UFC's change in contract language seems to be designed to kind of mitigate the argument for any time period starting in July of 17 up until today. So kind of going forward. The long and the short of that, if you don't, if your uh, eyes didn't cross too heavily when we were discussing contract language there is. In about 10 months. Somewhere between like 10 and 12 months from now, Francis Ngannou could be out of his UFC contract and would – this isn't the first time the UFC heavyweight champion has had a dispute with them, not just Francis but plenty of others. But it would Randy be Couture. The, Couture famously, yes. This would be the first time since Couture that a UFC champion uh, – entered essentially the free market. Um, Ngannou would be in a position to... Now, the U, he can't take the UFC belt with him because that's the UFC's belt, not anyone else's. Uh, should he no longer be under contract, he is no longer the UFC heavyweight champion because he's no longer with the UFC. This is This is part of the reason that in boxing, you have to have sanctioning bodies that own the belts, not the promoters. The UFC doesn't have that problem. The UFC has other problems. And there's uh, I'm not going to litigate the totality of the difference between boxing and MMA as far as their execution. There's pros and cons on either side of that particular coin. But it, this is just the first time that, Fran that a UFC champion can leave his or her contract, not retire and still be under contract for a period of years. Uh, that's been the case for a lot of fighters. George St. Pierre again talked about that not too long ago. 
because he retired and still had like three years on his contract. So he's just about out of it now. If he wanted to go fight somewhere else. Uh, so that's where the so Francis could be waiting out his sunset clause at this point, and given the acrimonious relationship between him and the UFC at the moment, um, let me ask the question then: Is this the last time we're going to see Francis and Ganu fight in the UFC? No, he'll come back. Uh, but this is a very confusing and nebulous situation to me. Here's why. I'm reading, this is from Mark Ramundi uh, in ESPN. He's writing, he is still under UFC contract due to a champion's clause. He he is, because after, okay. after this, hang on. He is, but that can't extend beyond a certain date. Okay, so here's, here's what Ramundi reported. Nganu has said he could sit out an entire year until that expires. So yes. even though... He's still under contract for now. It can still, there's still a time period where it can expire. And then he said at the post-fight news conference that he didn't know where his future would be. And Ganu said, boxing is always in the back of my pocket. It is something I must do before the end of my career. It's not like I have a lifetime here. And you know, he's not wrong. And Ganu is 35. You know, he's not, he's, he's arguably already old for the sport. Not so much for so, heavyweight, but he's definitely he's definitely yeah. not got a long period of time. In he's not a spring it. chicken. He's not a spring chicken. Um, no, not at all. Part of here, part of this is the UFC's own doing. I mean, they they were a big part of the 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 Francis machine and making they hyped him up a lot. Um, so much so that it felt like the UFC picked. Francis is their guy over Stipe Miocic, and I doubt Stipe was okay with that. I mean, remember, remember, I think it was after the fight with uh, Francis that Stipe wouldn't even let uh, Dana White put the belt on him. Dana yeah, White did uh, not put the be- put the belt on uh, Francis last night. No, he did not. Um, did you see the message that um, Fra- uh, Francis's manager shared? No. What uh, What was that? Oh, I, I have to quote this. Because I don't want to get it wrong. Hang on. Um, so, okay. Uh, Francis Ngannou's manager is a gentleman by the name of Markel Martin. He's done a couple of podcasts when uh, the issues with Francis and the UFC came up. Uh, he's talked a little bit about that. He's a representative for not WME, but the other big talent agency. I believe it's CAA is who he works. He's uh, who he works with. And... Uh, he shared a screenshot of a text message he received. He blocked out the number apart from the area code. The area code is 702, which is Las Vegas. Uh, but other than that, we don't know who sent this. The, it, it says, and I quote, uh, I apologize for the language. Let's see who gets the last word after tonight, you dumb black bitch. The fact that Francis would ever listen to you lets you know how much of a dumb piece of shit he is, too. After this, you will go back to selling suits at Nordstrom, you fucking moron. Followed by three middle fingers. Close quote. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty horrible. Uh... All right. Well, we don't... Well. 
Now, again, now, look, the obvious Eesh. implication here, hang on. I'm not going to, I don't know who sent this. No one does. We have an area code. Could have been anybody in the UFC. Could have been somebody, could have been some random fan who texted that to him. MMA fans are very weird. So I'm not insinuating that it's anyone. Okay. That I'm, that's what was sent to him and he chose to share it. Again, could have been a disgruntled fan. Could have been Dana White. Don't know. I'm not, uh, again, I, I'm not saying any, I'm not yeesh. saying anything about who sent that. I'm saying, I mean, it could have been any there. I mean, if there could have been, it could have been any number of people. It absolutely could have. There's a lot of people in the UFC and there's a lot of people. That who is, that, I'm looking at it right now and that is very disturbing. Yeah. That again, this also could have just been some deranged fan because fans choose to put the UFC's interest above the fighters. Right. Most of the time. It's true. So, That's so this I don't want to speculate. I don't yeah, want to speculate on who it is, but it did come from a, a 702 area code. And I don't know if that was a power play, if that was a, a power play by Markel Martin. Uh, good on Markel Martin. Yeah, he. you should not be subjected to that kind of language. I don't care what, like, there's no call for you to be insulted like that when you're just doing your uh, job. You can have acrimonious see. relationships. You don't need... That was uncalled for. Dana White did talk to TMZ. He's saying they'll work it out with Nganu. I don't, whatever. That's all all he's going to say at this point. He's not going to say, yeah, he's gone after he just, you know, had that fight on your pay-per-view. So I will wait. You know what's weird? You know what's weird? Like Dana White sent, he did send like a, a very, I don't want, I, I, I don't really want to say similar, but he, he did send one of those Dana White type text messages to Gina Carano when they yeah. were hoping to book Gina Carano versus Ronda Rousey. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, and that and, and Ariel Hawani broke that story. And then, you know, in the last year or so, Gina Carano has become like persona non grata. And then Dana White was one of the only people to come to her defense publicly. So. Yeah, this just for the record, a temporary rending of this relationship does not preclude it being repaired in the future. That's certainly certainly true. Uh, We've been getting some. Let me ask you about this one then, because this is another thing kind of related to this, and I don't put a tremendous amount of stock in this. But Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, and the WBC heavyweight champion. Don't get me started on that situation. Uh, I'm going to ask about it because, again, Fury and okay. uh, Ganu has been has talked about boxing, and I'll bring up the pay structure and uh, the pay differential in just a second or two because there's a few different points that I think bear that that bears discussing. But just about Francis and Tyson Fury, um, they've they've both kind of hinted at trying to work something out in that respect. One. Uh, I'm curious about your level of interest in it. I have none. I have no interest in that fight whatsoever. I mean, I'd cover it because I, of course I would, but like my Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury in a boxing match. Yes, absolutely none. And I think Francis would get destroyed and annihilated unless, unless Fury just came in wildly out of shape and just didn't train at all. Well, even wildly out of shape. (laughs) 
he might still beat him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, and look, me, that's not I, me. For the record, my that's view not me on this Francis has always been. My view on this has always been like uh, a boxer beats an MMA fighter in a boxing match, and an MMA fighter and in an MMA fight, an MMA fighter beats a boxer. That's a, that's usually true. Uh, thus far, it's been true. That's even true to the extent that it extends to, you know, Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. That's <laughs> they're different. They're different activities. Like they have Let's just some... book Jake Paul versus Francis. <laughs> Jake Paul versus Francis, Logan Paul versus Francis back to back. Let's really uh, let's really let's really do this. You know, you put them in a boxing ring. I might favor I would favor I might favor Jake, actually, not Logan. Francis would kill Logan, but Jake might be able to do it. Let's do it. Um, so, here's but I the... do think I do think this problem is is the UFC's own making, and I don't think they've taken the proper steps to. I think kind of just get ahead of these contract, get ahead of contract drama fighter drama and and you know just like francis was their guy like they you know they made they made they built the francis hype machine so now Fran and now francis wants to get paid and i can't really blame francis for wanting to get paid you know to the best of my knowledge francis's requests slash demands here are not at all unreasonable i mean he's at the big obviously the big elephant in the room here is the man wants to be paid more now, because this fight took place in California and California does disclose uh, purses, we know how much he made in terms of his purse. Now, obviously, there's a couple of other mitigating factors here. As a champion, he will get pay-per-view points. Uh, there's whatever money. So, so it was a, a disclosed payout of 600K. Yep. Cyril Gon got 500K. Mm-hmm. And Cyril Gon was a champion going into this fight, even though... Even though it was a boo boo belt championship and a fake championship, he was technically the championship, uh, the UFC interim uh, champion for this fight. So, yeah, so he, he'll get that many points as well. Right. But uh, <laughs> hang on. So Francis wants to be paid more. So, again, I am happy to stipulate that 600000 is not the total of what he was paid gross. There's There's more to it. Again, there's pay-per-view, there's whatever athlete compliance. How can the UFC not afford to pay him like a million? They a could. A million disclosed. They easily could. Like that, this is one of the things about this. So by, and, and by like, of, and you, and Dana White, he's doing interviews with people where even during a pandemic, he's like, last year is like, this is our greatest year ever. It was. We know that. Like we. Their fin- okay, a, lot of, so, a lot of their financials are disclosed. 2021 was the most successful year for the UFC financially in its history. All right. So how can they not afford to pay Francis Moore? I just don't get that. They, they could. Now, they won't because the UFC has stated, and this is one of those things that people don't seem to understand. This is in court documents. This is in all kinds of other places. Like when the UFC was looking at being bought out, one of their package, they have to, you know, they presented themselves as an entity. The UFC, and this is stated again under oath because they're being sued over this. 
they want to keep their total costs, uh, their total payout to fighters at less than 20% of yearly revenue. They, you, you ask if they could afford to pay. Did Francis that come Taylor. out during the lawsuit? Yes. 100% yes. Well, and well, some of the stuff. Why, WME, IMG, oh, they own the company, right? Correct. So, what? I mean, why is it so, why is it against the rules to, to alter, you know, alter the deal, so to speak? It's not against the rules. This is what allows for maximum profit. And look, the other. The but other you're still, but, but if you increase, but I mean, if you're, if your profits are increasing. And they are for the UFC. Okay. So if they are increasing and you had, and you got the ESPN money, I, I mm-hmm. don't know. The numbers just don't, it doesn't add up to me. None of this adds up. It, it Look, it, this is what they want to do as a part of their long-term strategy for maintaining giant profits. They could absolutely afford to pay fighters more. And look, it, in defense of the UFC partially, Mr. S partially, there's other bits of overhead and whatnot that they have that other promoters don't. And I'm, I'm willing to stipulate this. I just find that you know 20% paid out to the fighters year over year to be gross. Um, it, but it apparently a, it's still more than WWE's revenue split. I have no earthly idea if that's true. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, uh, okay, the last, the last okay. bit on the last bit on the fighter pay here. Just it's easy for people to look at. You know, Tyson Fury made thirty million dollars for his third fight with Deontay Wilder, and he did. That was his purse. Wilder made twenty. And again, that's just purse. That's not factoring any pay-per-view split or whatnot. And that's a that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And it's easy to kind of point that out and go, well, Francis is making $600,000. Isn't this terrible? And it is. I have railed about fighters deserving more money than they get for quite a while at this point. But I don't even need to point out a big mega fight like Fury Wilder 3 to point out how kind of broken this whole thing is. Again, we have the full disclosed payout for UFC 270. The total paid out in purses, only in purses, not other locker room bonuses or pay-per-view points, but only in purses, is about $1.8 million. That's what they paid everyone. That, that was their total pay. But for boxing is a different, it's a different type of in- infrastructure for a it is. like uh, Wild, Wilder versus Fury. Hang on. I don't even need, again, I don't even need Wilder versus Fury for this. Because they made like 25 times what everyone was paid out for this. Like, okay, that set aside the mega fight, right? There was a fight last year between, uh, by one of the top pound for pound skill wise boxers in, uh, in the world, but he's not a big draw. His name is Terrence, uh, Terrence Crawford. He goes by Bud. He's a tremendous boxer. I, I love watching the guy fight. He just got out of a terrible acrimonious relationship with Bob Arum. And we know what his purse was for his last fight. He fought Sean Porter. Uh, he made $6 million for that. Okay. If you, want, if you want to say that the mega fight is an unfair comparison, okay, I, I, might, be, I might be willing to grant you some of that. But if Terrence Crawford, who is skill-wise very near the top of the tree, but... <sighs> But market-wise, not quite so much. 
if that guy makes almost three times what you paid out in totality for a big pay-per-view event, something is fundamentally broken with how the UFC is paying their fighters. And that's starting to become more and more apparent. The issue to me is boxing doesn't have... Boxing fights aren't promoted like UFC fights. And then with boxing... We can't even get we can't even get Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua or Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. But now I feel like we're starting to have that problem in the UFC as well. Because they're, they're still not, their, Yeah, and they're not getting paid either. Because <laughs> they're not paying their fighters enough. Um, so I'm not it's not that I'm pro UFC on this argument. It, to me, it's just that there are there are all these different variables and there are all these different nuances that. Oh yeah. yeah the, the, look, look, it, it's easy. It, I to don't say. know. It's uneven to me. It's uneven to me. Yeah, but it, I, it's, that it's, said, it's, I do think the fighters need to get paid more. And I do like, I do think they need, I do think UFC needs to dramatically overhaul their like business setup. Even if it, it and and you know what they might have to be for, and you know what the UFC might have to be forced kicking and screaming to changing the revenue, the revenue well, split. The, the, but we'll see. The, the only way that changes, and this is borne out through again not only testimony that we have during the lawsuit, but what everything that they've done since. That will only change because they're not breaking the law. The UFC is absolutely in. They're not doing anything illegal at the moment. When it comes to their revenue split, it's entirely within their purview to do this the way that they're doing it. And at the moment, everything seems above board. The only way this changes is through either some kind of legislation, be that written legislation from Congress or a serious enough ruling from a judge in a lawsuit or a collective bargaining agreement for the fighters. Those are the only things that will force the UFC's hand. Okay. There, there's something there's there's something else I want to tell in this matter. Okay. I just, I mean, I I agree, I agree with you. Um, but like, if the you know the fighters have to kind of, they're gonna have like if they want collective bargaining, they're gonna have to get it them not themselves, but they're gonna have to do. The the uh, what's oh, the saying? The, here's the what I want, Here's what I wanted to. Here's what I wanted to say. UFC has has successfully built an organization where, okay, these guys are not making Deontay Wilder or even Sean Porter money, but guys are able to make a living being professional athletes and being fighters. And a lot of these guys probably would not cut it in the pro boxing scene. And they uh became MMA. Hundred percent. Like, anyone that could be a anyone that could be a decent level boxer in MMA would be a decent level boxer because they'd make more money. What was that? I, I'm agreeing with you. Anyone in okay, the UFC yeah. who could be a good boxer would just be a boxer because there right. is more money. Right. So like these got like these guys aren't aren't would not cut it in pro boxing, and and those that have boxing would were not able to break through to that upper echelon to make serious money as boxers. Cause let's, 
here's the other thing about boxing at the top there's lots of money but you know on those lower level cards those guys are not making that type of money and and, and i would say there's still an uneven percentage of guys who are making that you know that those seven figure eight figure paydays in boxing um the ufc the ufc so here's where i will credit the zufa leadership they've managed to build something where guys can make money in the ufc and they can make a career as as an mma fighter um and and they've done it better than everyone else and there have been a, a lot of fly-by-night companies and a lot of uh a lot of upstart companies but the ufc has managed to for better or worse, they, they have withstood the test of time and they've built their business and organization and their infrastructure. And it has been, I think it has benefited the fighters to some degree. Maybe not enough as it should have, but I think it has. And well, there's an interesting and, I, and I think there and I think there's a lot there's a lot of jealousy toward boxing, but to me, a lot of these guys would not be able to excel as pro boxers. So I mean, like if they th- like if they're not happy with their fighter pay, and if they're not, I mean, they, okay, you 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 would get paid more as a janitor than become a janitor. Why are you? I mean, you want to be a fighter, and this is what like whatever whatever happened to you in your life, this is what you chose to do. And to me, to me, a lot of these guys, they just wouldn't be good. They wouldn't be able to cut it as boxes and this is what they can do to make money now that being said to me this re- a 20 if it is a 20 percent revenue or 17 percent is what is it 17.5 percent it depends 15%. on how it depends on how much how deep you want to dig into what they consider fighter compensation okay um because the ufc includes however much they pay usada for example as part of fighter compensation okay which I I find All right. I, I find that a ridiculous argument. I, and to me, there might have I think there might have to be like there might have to be some kicking and screaming, forced to make changes here. Uh, at some point, but l- l- like to me to me the bo- like the boxing thing is it's a bit of an uh, to me it's a bit of an apple apples and oranges thing here. But I agree with you in the sense that it's not strictly one-to-one, and there's a variety of reasons for that. There are benefits to the boxing model. There are serious downsides to the boxing model. There are benefits to the UFC model. There are serious downsides to the UFC model. There is not an ideal uh, circumstance, an ideal model for us to follow here. It's trying to find – it's a lot of, you know, a bit of trial and error and a bit of trying to find the best case, trying to find what works. Like to me, it's disingenuous when like a guy like Bjorn Redney is like, we always p- paid our fighters 50% split or something, where we didn't even know what type of revenue Bellator was bringing in. Uh, well, Bell- uh, I've seen the financial breakdown on that. Bellator is was pretty close to a 50-50 rev share split. I mean, don't get yeah, me wrong. But what, how, not- yeah, but what was their revenue? What was their what was their actual revenue? You know what I mean? Yeah, I the- believe that. I believe that. But like. Like, you know, I doubt they were raking in serious revenue. So it's it's not it's not like it's it's hardly something I would compliment them for. 
Uh, again, I'll compliment the uh, the theory. I mean, and that's just what I mean. And that's just what I mean. This is a very it's a weird debate. It's a weird argument with all sorts of different things going on. And it's hard for me. I can't just make like I can't just make like one like black and white judgment on this. Uh, there is a ton of nuance to it in certain respects. Uh, I, I think when you get dialed down to, to uh, again specific subcategories of the discussion, there it gets fairly black and white. But uh, I do think whole, I yeah. do think a I do think a big pro- part of this here here uh, I think a big part of this is is a problem of the UFC's own making, and I feel they have failed to really get in front of it. And I think the attitude of you know just like you know, Dana White's leadership of just F you, you don't get it or you don't get the business. It's just not working anymore. You know, that I don't think is working right now. Yeah. That there's going to be a reckoning sooner or later about this. And I think you're right that that's the, whatever change the UFC makes, it's not going to be voluntary. Yeah. I, I I think that's ultimate. Yeah. I feel like ultimately it's going to be something like that, but we'll see. We will, and because this is what we do on the show, we will keep you all as abreast as we can of that as any of that situation develops. Specifically, we will, of course, with Francis Ngannou as we find out what lurks in his future. If I had to guess, within the next couple of months, the UFC will schedule an interim title fight for the heavyweight division using the argument about Francis's injured knees, and then they'll probably like release him on the last day of his contract because, of course, they do. But we'll see. They might come to terms between now and then. Who knows? There's a, we don't know, but as soon as news breaks on that in any kind of meaningful fashion, we will, of course, discuss it here. All right. I hope Brandon and- Moreno got a lot of Funko Pops while he was still champion. <laughs> Let's move on to that co-main event, since you brought up Brandon Moreno. The third fight between Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo for the UFC flyweight title. Uh Again, these two have met twice before. First fight wound up being a draw uh, after a point deduction to Davis and Figueredo in the third third or fourth round. I want to say third for uh, for a low blow. Wound up in a draw. One of the better fights of 2020. I forget, I forget exactly where it landed on my list, but it was top five. Uh, they had a rematch because, of course, you do after a great fight that ends in a draw. And the rematch was not nearly as close. Brandon Moreno was just... Better on that night, beats Davis and Figueredo, submits him in the third round. We get the third fight here because I assume Askar Askarov was not able to go on a meaningful timetable. And I know I'm the only guy in the world beating the drum for Askarov to get his title shot, but I am, so I may as well continue to do so. Third fight here Davis and Figueredo defeats Brandon Moreno via unanimous decision 48 47 across the boards. Doing this live, I was 49-46, Figueredo. I don't stand by that, especially the fourth round. I'm almost certain I got wrong. Um, I wasn't able to watch all of that round necessarily as closely as I would normally. Stuff happens, uh, distractions and whatnot. So I, I, I don't stand by four to one. I don't. It was no, a close fight. It was a close fight, and it was a matter of inches. I think yeah. Figueredo just inches fight out. I agree with uh, the 48-47 scorecard. It, that's but uh, Figueroa got mul- he got he got like several knockdowns. He had three um, knock. He's credited with three over the course of the fight. He ended. In, in, I mean, he almost fi- he 
he had an impressive finish to one round where I think uh, most the, of the round I gave it to Moreno, but yeah. then at the end he got a solid knockdown and he almost locked in a submission. Now yeah, maybe end of the he third. didn't. Now maybe the submission, if it almost finished Moreno or not, maybe it could be misleading. But still, that was the most uh, momentous event that happened in that round, and that's why I gave that round to Figueroa. Ditto. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I was with you. Moreno was winning the third round until he got knocked down and then a uh, bit of an anaconda choke attempt. It was fairly uh, early in the process of developing the choke, but it was still an attempt. So uh, I think a fish, I think my my scorecard, as I kind of revise it, would be one, three, and five to Figueredo. Uh, but... There were a few close rounds in there, man. Um, the, the first, first was pretty two close. rounds were the first two rounds were fairly close. Yeah, uh, there were some interesting adjustments that Figueredo made for this fight to make this work. First of Figueredo all, uh, looked fantastic for one thing. His weight cut, man. Um, he he moved his team. He was with the uh, the fight ready team, which is uh, headed by Eric Albaracin and uh, primarily produced Henry Cejudo. Uh, there's a few other people that have kind of moved into that camp nowadays. I think John Jones trains there at the moment. Zhang Wiley moved there for her rematch with Rosnami Yunus. Henry Cejudo yeah. is pr- helping him there. I mean, considering a guy who's who's struggled so much with the weight cut in the past, he really he really he really dialed it in. It wasn't just lip service. Like that oh yeah, was he, clearly, it clearly made the difference this time. It, it absolutely made a huge difference. Uh, the other thing he did, and this was a technical adjustment, he was a lot more, and I don't think Moreno adapted to this the way that he kind of needed to, Figueredo was a lot more measured in his offense. Uh, Moreno seemed to be waiting to kind of counter him with more wild engagements, and Moreno is very good in those situations. And any time they got into kind of the brawl, Moreno seemed to be on the winning end of things. I think... Commentary kind of noted that they thought maybe Brandon Moreno had a power edge. I don't think that's the case, having watched this fight back. I think it's more that Moreno's chin is better than Figueredo's. And I think that's more what was causing some of those uh, interactions to go the way they did. Not so much that Figueredo isn't isn't the harder puncher, but the chin differential uh, leaning in favor of Moreno. But Figueredo modulated his offense. He never got into, very rarely, I shouldn't say never, got into the wild kind of firefights. And I he, feel like he got the better of a lot of those exchanges, and that just just made the difference, plus the knockdowns. Yeah. Uh, and he, the leg kicks. And the leg kicks were very key those, in this fight, too. Those calf kicks were pretty significant. I don't just mean that they kind of messed with Moreno. I think like 30% of his total strikes were were those leg kicks, if you want to go by the numbers. That's a significant chunk of his offense, and some of them were solid kicks. Uh, he also mixed in takedowns very well, and credit to Moreno, he, by about the third round, those takedowns were going nowhere, and he was actively countering them, which caused Figueredo to make a couple of adjustments himself. So we've... Uh, another good fight. Contrary Not- to what Cecil people say, would say, Leg kicks do win fights. They absolutely can contribute. Um, so we're now at, after three fights between these two gentlemen, we're at 1-1-1. One, one, and one. 
And perhaps more notably, someone else pointed this out. I forget who, so I apologize. Having watched seven and a half rounds of fighting, but sorry, not seven and a half, 12 and a half rounds of fighting between these two guys. I'm still not sure who's better. Like that's how evenly matched these two guys are. Sometimes when you get these long drawn out trilogy, uh, not just trilogy, but these rematches, by the time it's all said and done, you get a feel for who the better fighter is. I don't quite have that here. Like I can see either guy winning. They've both proven that they can, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the fight, Figueredo said, you know, we can do a fourth one in Mexico City. I don't think they're going to do that mostly for travel related re- travel and COVID related reasons. I don't think they're going to, me- to Mexico City. But credit to Figueredo for immediately saying, yeah, this guy who's, you know, given me the toughest fights of my career thus far, we, we need a fourth fight. And uh, there's no one else to fly weight. This is barely even a division. Again, I it sucks that they're gonna that they'll have to bypass particularly Askar Askarov, who I think I think might take that belt when he fights for it. Uh but he I think he's got a fight coming up, so I'm again I'm the only guy beating that drum. On uh, an emotional but, level, I do feel bad for Brandon Moreno because he's such a likable chap and he likes that, Funkos and stuff, so I feel bad for him, but I mean, uh, Figueredo did a great job, and, yeah. and you know he's real. Figueredo has really frustrated me in this past, but I thought he looked like a million bucks last night. The, uh, I, to this, to me, is an example of a good technical fight. I love the technique on display here. I love the quickness, the cardio. Guys not getting gassed after five minutes. Uh, guys looking sharp and quick. I mean, and, and I know some people, it, the flyweight. Uh, the, as a weight class, it just doesn't translate for some people. But this fight last night is sort of like why I love flyweight so much. Yeah, the, these two guys together, uh, they've not had a bad fight between three fights. And one of them was, an, I can't quite say all-time classic, but certainly a best of the year. This one might wind up featuring pretty highly come you know end of the year for best fights of the year. Um, get them together for a fourth time. And hopefully, while that's going on, we get a genuine contender to emerge out of the rest of the pack at flyweight. Uh, this was a really good fight. Brandon Moreno, you, you mentioned he, how likable he is. He's not the most popular guy in the UFC, but he might be the most well-liked. Uh, I saw a brief little thing on Twitter that was, you know, other fighters going, yeah, Brandon Moreno is my parents' favorite fighter after they met him. Even people who are in his weight class, like, yeah, my dad told me, you know, Brandon Moreno is his favorite fighter. And even though we're in the same weight class, he'd probably root for Brandon. Uh, he's a really likable guy. And, you know, that man was more positive at his post-fight press conference after losing that fight than I've been in like 23 years. Like, I don't know how he's that upbeat about life. But God bless him, he is. So we probably get the yeah, get another fight out of those two. I say bring it on. I'm certainly okay with that fight. Uh, so anything else we want to touch on there before we move on to the rest of the card? I love you, Brandon Moreno. Funko, make a Funko pop of Brandon Moreno, please. 
Have they not yet? If they I'm haven't, sure. they need. If they haven't, they need to. Uh, all right. As for the rest of this card, um, this was kind of a two-fight card. The rest of it, uh, there's some good stuff here, but there was not a lot of again, not a lot of name value. So okay, the there is this... a fu- there is a Funko for Brandon Moreno apparently. I'm sorry. Yeah, good but... for him. Make more. Make more. <laughs> so we're just going to kind of go through the rest of these fairly quickly. Um, at welterweight, Michelle Pieja de- uh, defeated Andre Fialho via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, I was decently impressed with Fialho, given that he took this fight on short notice. He had a good first round, but the second round, his pressure let up a little bit. Uh, Pieja started finding his combinations. His front kicks to the body started adding up, and that body work, uh, that can be brutal. Uh, so pretty good fight there. Bantamweight, Saeed Nurmagomedov defeated Cody Stamen via guillotine choke 47 seconds into the first round. Oof. Saeed Nurmagomedov, he's only got one loss in the UFC. He lost a decision to Hani Barcelos, and we'll talk about him again uh, again shortly. Um, Nurmagomedov's a legit rising guy at bantamweight. Uh, he snatched up this guillotine real quick. Uh, Stamen tried to come up on a head outside single after catching a kick and head up a bit too much. Nurmagomedov sunk that left arm deep under the throat, got all the way to like the power guillotine grip or the ninja choke, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, and just done like dinner. Uh, nice win for Said Nurmagomedov. Cody Stamen's had, he's been up and down in the UFC, but I don't think too many people have kind of run through him like that. I mean, he took Marab Dwalish really to three rounds. Uh, Jimmy Rivera, he took three rounds. He even got, he even took Sterling into the second. Uh, so he's not an easy guy to look good against. And Nurmagomedov just, then with the most Russian post-fight interview ever. Hey, how do you feel? I'm very happy. Uh, some people are going to be ducking that man. Just going to put it like that. Uh, welterweight, Michael Morales defeated Trevin Giles via TKO punches 406 of the first. Um... This was um, not the wildest fight of the evening, but uh, Giles just tried to force the wrestling a bit too much. And then once he got a bit predictable, uh, am I confusing him with someone else? I might be. I apologize if I am. Uh was a good win for this was a good win for Morales who's got uh some good counter wrestling and uh one of the few guys apparently this came out uh, as he was coming out uh, apparently both of his parents are judo black belts and he's been doing a lot of wrestling training so you can't just take the guy down at will um might be someone to pay attention to uh he looked pretty good here uh that was your main card as for the prelims uh, Victor Henry defeated Hani Barcelos. This was a really good fight. Um, I picked Barcelos. Henry showed up big time. These two fought at a pretty crazy pace. Uh, if you didn't see this fight, look it up. This is well worth your time to watch. A solid win for Henry. Hani Barcelos is a legitimate top guy at bantamweight. At welterweight, Jack Della Madalena defeated Pete Rodriguez via TKO. 259 of the first punches. 
Um, Della Maddalena looked smooth as butter. Uh, his striking was on point. Really nice pull counter, too, to end things. Just kept the jab going when he got a reaction out of Rodriguez. Slide back, left hand, boom. Uh, that that dude is someone to pay attention to. Uh, this was about as good as you could look. Bantamweight Tony gravely defeated Simon Oliveira via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Oliveira just kept trying guillotine chokes, and they kept not working. Uh, lightweight, this was a nutty fight. Matt Frivola uh, defeating Gennaro Valdez via TKO, 315 of the first. Craziest three minutes of action you'll see in a while. This was nutty. Um, fight should have been stopped before it was. Uh, the last knockdown, I think, was when it should have been stopped, but uh, uh, fun brawl there. Mike Beltran was probably the referee. He was. Hmm. No kidding. Uh, as for the earliest prelims, Vanessa Demopoulos defeated Silvan, uh, Silvana Gomez-Juarez via armbar, 225 of the first. Juarez badly hurt Demopoulos with a right hand, but got went down to the ground with her, got caught in guard, and her grappling is a pretty big liability at this point, given some of the decisions she made here before getting armbarred. Um, not, not great. And kicking everything off, Jasmine Jazz Davisius defeated Kay Hansen via unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. Uh, Hansen just got out-wrestled, and that was kind of the long and the short of the first two rounds. Third round was almost all on the feet. I thought Hansen won the third. Uh, or the third was close enough that I don't object to it going either way. Um, wasn't great, but and we got a lot of first-round finishes on the evening, so there was that. All right, Jeff, what sticks out to your to you when we look at the rest of that card if anything okay so uh man that uh guillotine by uh Nurmagomedov um like Cody Stamen uh Stamen not a world beater but he's a tough opponent uh getting it done in less than a minute that was slick and um Nurmagomedov he's definitely a guy to watch he's a legit prospect I don't know where they find this kid uh Michael Morales but he's he's 13 and 0 now 21 years old uh, Ecuador. Uh, he, he, I, yeah, he's from Ecuador. Sec, second Ecuadorian fighter in the UFC after Marlon Vera. He looked he looked really good last night. Um, he's, you know, I don't know what I don't know how well he'll be able to do, but he de I mean, based off his performance last night, he looked really good. Um, Mike Beltran, man, uh, I it got so bad last night. I was like, don't even let him back in the cage. Um. Especially that fight with uh, with Giles Morales, he looked. I don't know. Uh, Mike Beltran has never been one of the greatest referees to me. He's never really established himself as really an upper echelon, upper tier referee. I don't think he was doing a good job last night. Now that's just my opinion. Uh, I feel like it happened multiple times where he was very slow where fighters were taking lots of unanswered shots and not really intelligently defending themselves. And my general view is, I think, yes, you can sometimes show leniency in certain situations, but when a fighter, a prone, vulnerable fighter, is taking so many unanswered shots to the head, I think you, you can't do what Mike Beltran was doing. But that's just my opinion. So I'm yeah, sorry if I offend anyone. 
Eh, he didn't have a great night last night. I, I think that's kind of. I think it's fair that's to putting it. That. Mi- that's putting it mildly, Robert. Well, look, he still wasn't that um that Russian ref from a few fights from a few events back that has a reputation on the independent scene as a guy who just you know if you're not unconscious he won't stop a fight. But yeah, it's it, not the best night in Mike Beltron's career. So. I hear I uh, um I, I'm not gonna say, it. but congrats to Vanessa Dimopoulos uh, too. Good for her. I want to see more. I want to see uh see her in more fights. You almost phrased that very awkwardly, considering her former profession. Yes. <laughs> I was I I stopped myself though. I, want I appreciate to see her, that. I want to see more fights. I want to see her in more fights. Based off her performance last night. Wait, was it Demopolis or uh, Jazz Davisius? I think it was Jazz Davisius. I'd have to double check that. It, it, uh, the one we're thinking of is D- Demopolis. Demop- Arm Bard okay. Juarez. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. For those of you who don't know what we're referencing, um, one of these two uh, ladies worked as Jumped an exotic- into the arms of Joe Rogan. She did. She absolutely did. Uh, one of these two like worked as an exotic dancer um, and left that just, you know, like eight weeks ago to do the fight camp. Um, so there's uh, and that's not me shaming at, uh, in any particular kind of context. For I that. highly respect that. You know, you've you've got a you got bills to pay. I'm not not here to pass judgment on any of that. And you might wind up. And she looked up. great. She looked great. She did a good job. And when I mean look great, I mean she she fought well. Needs to definitely work on her strike. Now I defense. feel like now I feel like now I feel like a, a skeevy jerk. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. I apologize for uh, for that. Hashtag uh, cancel Jeffrey. <laughs> uh, she needs to work on her striking defense. Pretty pretty obviously. Um, some of those punches she got hit with were. Not exactly well set up, but her grappling is top notch. She's competed. You know, she's a uh, she's competed in some uh, fairly well known uh, grappling competitions. So got still got some work to do. But her if anytime things hit the mat with her, she's a very good jujitsu practitioner. Well, I read I read she quit just six weeks before this fight. So I mean, and we'll even fight. more even more even more respect for her toughness. You know. And given that I think she's paid like 10 and 10, she might wind up picking up a few other shifts to cover the bills for uh, her next fight. That's a shot at the UFC's pay structure, not anything yes, else. Yes, <laughs> right, yes. That, that's a, yeah, fair were, observ- a fair observation. Well, I mean, look, a lot of fighters have job have like jobs. Have, to side, go along with have, they, side, have side hustles, yes. Yeah. Yeah, then... Uh, again, if, you, if that's what you have to do for any number of reasons, hey, they get no... I am not Carlos shamed. Condit. Carlos Condit it has like a business selling like medical equipment, and, and I think he was doing like this cold brew coffee thing or something. Yeah, again, a lot of fighters. You know, fighting's uh, not something that you can do long term, so you've yeah, you got to have do what you can. You got to have some side hustles and some plan plan B, C, and Ds, basically. Pretty much. Uh, all right. As for your official post-fight bonuses, 
Um, officially, fight of the night was Figueredo and Moreno, with performances going to Said Nurmagomedov and Vanessa Demopoulos. No real objection to any of that. Um, I think you but, liked the Barcelos fight the most, didn't you? I did. I, that, that's just me personally, but giving it to Figueredo and Moreno is like that's a matter of just like degrees. I'm not I'm not objecting to that at all. It was a darn good fight. So yeah, yeah. Now, now talk about guys who sh- who are underpaid, like Figueredo and Moreno. Just oh just yeah, for how much? Just for how much they please me, and I I think how well they fight. And how hard they clearly worked, I'd be like, pay those guys twenty million. To me, they're these guys are worth more these guys are worth more to the sport to me than Sean Porter is to boxing. Well, considering Porter retired after that fight, yeah. Uh yeah, look, both of those guys it, should probably this, have that fight was the high that was the that was the whole reason I wanted to watch the car like that was the highlight of the night for me, because it wasn't gone versus Nganu. Uh Look, those two guys should both have at least one more zero at the end of their paychecks. Like the, at least. At least. Yep. So, and on it, top, my, on top of, on top of pay-per-view points. Yeah, I mean, look, my, I think the most egregious thing that the UFC does, if we want to talk rev share and whatnot, I, my opinion is that everything that they get from ESPN should go. You should split that between yourselves and the fighters, and they don't. Like, that's all that all goes to the UFC. But that's something that fighters have to kind of hash out with the UFC. So, uh, yeah, UFC's making a ton of money, guys. Unionized, you can get a bigger slice of the pie than 20%. Uh, all right, so that was UFC 270. I thank everyone who followed along with my live coverage or read the report after the fact. Both of those are available at 411mania.com. And there's no event next week. Well, there was no UFC event. However, I got roped yeah. into covering the WWE Royal Rumble on Saturday, so that'll be fun. Oh. Best of luck on that. Thank you. I get the feeling I'm going to need it. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, since I was last on, I went to SummerSlam. I do. I remember you. Uh, I remember you going to that. I'm glad you had a good time. And I covered. Yeah, I covered it for 411. That was WWE actually credentialed. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it did. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. I mean, that was the one at uh, yeah. that's the Reliance Center, right? The the big Death Star in Vegas. Uh, no. Um, no. Not Reliant. Uh, not Reliant. Allegiant. Allegiant. That's it. Something Allegiant like Stadium. But yeah, yeah, it does look it does look like a, it does look like a, like a, a base like that like Cobra or like <laughs> yeah. uh, like some sort of sci-fi movie thing it would be like it, it would be like the base of operations for like uh, a super secret organization or something. Yeah, it was re- it was really cool, but I feel bad for the attendees that night because uh, all the uh, computers went down because there's <sighs> supposed to be a cashless stadium. So like nothing. Apparently things didn't work, and it was very hot that day too. That was Vegas in the middle of the summer. Yeah, that'll yeah that'll cook some brain cells off. It cooked. Uh, it definitely cooked my car. My battery was shot after that trip. <sighs> All right, let's see. 
Uh, that's all that I have listed here. Let me give a quick scroll through Twitter and see if anything crazy is broken. If not, do you have anything uh, MMA-related, news-wise or whatnot, that you want to touch on? Um, I mean, we kind of touched on most of it. Um, oh, there was that thing. Did you see, hear about that thing with Dan Hooker and John Jones? Uh, a few weeks ago when they started trading insults, yeah. Was that a few weeks ago? It's been a couple of weeks, yeah, I think. Okay. Um, but, what was it? Life hack, if you don't beat up your wife, family events will be more enjoyable. Merry Christmas. Yeah, they, they threw some. <laughs> Those two threw some. You know what? Dan Hooker may never be a UFC champion, but on Twitter, he ethered John Jones. Ethered, however you say it. There was another there was another really good one. There have been a few. Again, John uh whenever John starts tweeting, people get after him. I mean, Jones should probably should, pro- should probably stay off Twitter now. Um Man, John Jones truly is, but you know what? John Jones truly is a Daryl Strawberry of MMA. That's that's the only way I can really put it. That's not the most unfair comparison that could be made. And probably will be at some ra- some presidential rallies sooner rather than later. Uh, you know what I mean. You know what he, I mean. He might. Wouldn't uh, would not terribly surprise me, but you know, I'm I'm fairly convinced that a significant number of the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th last year were MMA fans. Um, I think Pat Militich was actually there. <laughs> that, that's I mean, not I a mean, joke. That's not me. Me. I, I I, yeah, no, no. Sure Pat Militich was there. I can't get that visual of the guy with the was it the moose hat or whatever or whatever the uh didn't he have like a a Caesar Gracie he he had some Q- sort of like yeah the QAnon shaman the guy with the like water buffalo headdress or what yeah the, the water buffalo yeah. yeah yeah who was that I don't know his name I I, I don't care <laughs> but I, but I, yeah. I feel like he ha- I think he had like an MMA tattoo probably. That I recall that looked something uh, that looked familiar that looked MMA related, but yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, yeah, they, I don't know if there's been too much. Um, I mean, uh, Francis Ngannou, he was on the, uh, daily show a while back, I think uh, so, just, just before. Yes. With Trevor Noah, just before, uh, this fight to talk about, uh, his career in fight. He got a write up. He did. Yeah. He got a write up in like the New York Times, and I think he was on the cover of the ESPN magazine. Like Ngannou made some made some uh, headlines this last you know couple of weeks. Oh, here we go. UFC 276. So they announced International Fight Week. It's going to happen in Vegas, presumably. UFC 276 will be July 2nd at the T-Mobile. Um. That was the same weekend UFC was supposed to do Money in the Bank 2022, which was supposed to return to Allegiant Stadium uh, that weekend. So I think UFC was going to have their event on Saturday. 
and that's when UFC is having their events. So there might be so now that UFC has announced Fight Week and UFC 276, there might be sort of like a kink in that for WWE. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the WWE's been experimenting with these Saturday events, or we'll see if they keep that or if they go back to Sunday in the near future. That right. So that remains to be seen. But yeah, they announced that. Uh, yeah, it's just... Meanwhile, and meanwhile, AEW goes to Sunday after they were having a lot of their shows on Saturdays before. Yeah, I eh, I imagine they'll figure out which one works best for them. Yeah, all relevant. Uh, okay, two uh, seventy four. 271, we're finally getting out of Sonya versus Whitaker, too. I am very excited um, for that. I'm picking out of Sonya there, but look, Whitaker's looked very good lately, so we'll see what he can do this time. I, Whitaker's I a great fa- fighter. I, f- you know? I still favor out of Sonya, but I expect this to look nothing like their first fight. I agree. Um, Whitaker was clearly burned out uh, when the when their first fight happened, so... And I think, I mean, he's made a lot of good, I mean, he hasn't lost, it doesn't look like he's lost a step at all to me. So I like the no, fight. He's, he's looked really good his last couple of fights. I'm, I'm really excited for that fight. Uh, hope he holds together. We, I mean, we did touch on it earlier. Tyson Fury welcomes Francis Ngannou to make some real money. So let's see. I mean, Tyson Fury Tyson Fury Tyson Fury tweeted congratulations Francis but if you want to make some real money come see the GK. So he's putting it out there. Uh you, you know what you and I might have no interest in that fight. And I I I've said this before I don't. Like I I don't have any interest in those two boxing. I don't have any I, I don't have any interest in those two fighting at all. I don't care the rule set. Um But let's not pretend that wouldn't sell. <laughs> like if they if that gets made through whatever mechanism that's going to sell a lot of pay-per-views. This is a bit of a sad story to me. Uh, A fighter who fought in Bellator and UFC, uh, Michael Falcao died, stabbed to death. Wow. I didn't even know. Yeah. I just, so this was reported today. Kind of sad, you know, just a guy with a lot of potential. Apparently, Not, well, uh, some people mentioned old. some people mentioned that he apparently had been just in a lot of street fights in Brazil. Uh, if he was still, no, engaged, I, that's, what that's what got him. That's what got him. That's what got him. I think fired from Bellator, as I recall. Probably was that was there was there was like this surveillance video of him uh, assault, uh, assaulting a woman in a gas station and being in a street fight. Yeah, so that's why he was cut from Bellator. So, yeah, so, I mean, a guy. It's just, it's disappointing. It's disappointing to see a guy, a guy so young lose his life. Yeah, it's all, that's, that's always sad. Um, So, for the record, gentlemen, this is why you don't engage in street fights whenever possible. Yeah. Because even if you're a. That's also just as a minor aside. That ought to tell you how effective a force multiplier just a knife is. Like, even someone who is very well trained in fighting, put them in there against someone who's got a knife, and that goes badly for the unarmed person more often than not. What's going to happen with 
is John Jones ever going to fight again? Like, what is the deal here? What I is have he gonna no do? idea. I, I have no idea what's going to happen. At this point, I am just, I'm going to wait until something actually comes about. Because otherwise, like, I have no idea. The John, Jones, no... the John Jones story is such a bizarre story. It's like half of it is like, like just this wunderkind and like the other half of it is just disappointment and frustration. And for as good a, for, for as every bit as good as he is at managing a fight, he is that bad at managing his life. Um, I don't, I, I, I mean, I I don't know. Like Daniel Cormier, he kind of, he kind of, I don't know. He kind of, he kind of, kind of, I don't know. I don't know if this was the right way to put it, but like he said something like because he failed to beat John Jones, like John Jones never, like, I think he said something basically to the effect of John was re- never really punished for his wrongdoing. And because he didn't beat John Jones and humiliate him, it never gave John time for self-reflection and to really look inward. I don't know if that's true at all for John Jones. Cause you know, I don't know how John Jones, you know, really looks at, you know, these, these, these sort of incidents in his life that are most, that are mostly brought on by himself. Um, but I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of Daniel Cormier saying things like that? I think Cormier has, a slightly inflated sense of himself and his importance in the lives yeah. of others. Um, yeah, but I, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Well, he's trying to play off of something he said in the build to their I think it was their the build to their second fight. Um, second fight or first? I can't remember. Um, they they put together this really awesome uh, promo package set to Arsonist Lullaby. Uh, so someone else can tell me which of those fights that was. Uh, but. One of the things he said in the build-up to that was you know, John. In order for John to uh, to realize how great he can truly be, he has to lose to me and then build back up. And okay. It was something to that effect. See, and I don't. I don't give that because he, re- he never he never truly lost. He never that. truly lost, but. Would it? I wonder though. It. I don't know if it would have really affected him all that much if he if he did lose a fight. So yeah, I don't know. This is, this is one of those things where someone is trying to apply elements of their worldview to another human being with no evidence that it necessarily correlates that way. I do but, think. I do think. To now, look, I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not a doctor, so I'm sorry, but I do think. I do think John Jones has, just as a person, has failed to really take responsibility for himself. To the extent that we have information and evidence, I don't disagree. So, yeah. Again, will he come? Will he come? Actually, make it to the ring this time? Uh, to the cage? I don't know. Um, would I favor him to beat either Francis or Cyril Gone? It's a tough one. I might favor him over Francis. Maybe not so much over Gone. But then again, you know, I don't know. I would have to give that a lot of serious consideration. There's too many unknowns with John and how he might look at heavyweight, but 
given his fighting ability, I think you'd be foolish to discount his uh, his potential to uh, be successful at that weight class. So, uh, if that's everything... Yeah, I think that's do... all we got. Let's get into plugs then. It's been a while since you've been here, so what do you got to plug to the people? Where, are they, where can they find you? <sighs> okay, so check out my Twitter at Wheeljack83. Uh, if you go to the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast, check out my latest interview with John Alba where we talk about uh, the extreme life of Matt Hardy and working with Matt Hardy on their new project. That's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. And review-wise, uh, check out my latest review of Scream. Technically Scream 5, but they're calling it Scream. It's the Scream Kingsman, 5. That's to the marketing it's department. <laughs> it's Scream 5. Spider-Man No Way Home and The Kingsman. Um, I don't know what I'll be reviewing next, but uh, just because, you know, the movie, the movie scene right now is very volatile and it's um, – we're still in a pandemic. We're still and in the Mission Impossible movies so. got put. Didn't the Mission Impossible oh, movie get pushed back another year? Again, again for like the fifth time. Yeah. And at this point, I'm not. At this point, I wonder if they're just waiting for Tom Cruise to die so they can recast Ethan Hunt. Uh, that's so mean. But Tom Cruise. It, it is. Will but... be. He will be in his 60s when these movies, when the sequels come out now. Uh. So yeah. The, uh, check those out on the 411 uh, movie zone. But, uh, yeah, so more than anything, everyone stay safe, and I hope you're uh, staying well and um, doing okay during this challenging time. All right. As for myself, I'll be pretty brief here. Uh, For my other podcasting endeavors, last week I got together with Mark Radlich and Ronnie Adams. We reviewed Scream 5, mostly favorably. Uh, the week before that was would have been the 355, mostly unfavorably. If you're interested in my thoughts on movie reviews and uh, whatnot, that's, those, are, those podcasts are over in the W2M network. Wherever you're listening to this, punch in Damn You Hollywood, and you can find that particular podcast. This week, uh, Mark and I are going to do a Damn You Hollywood for the Netflix movie Munich Edge of War, which is about the uh, peace conference to dissuade Adolf Hitler after... It's the the conference the conference that basically ceded the Rhineland back to Germany and paved the way for more of Hitler's expansionist aggression. Uh, Jeremy Irons plays Neville Chamberlain, so we'll be talking about that as well as our retrospective of the 2021 movie year and box office and whatnot. So tune in for that if you're so inclined. Uh, my other coverage efforts this week, ML. Uh, I already mentioned one of them, but I cover professional wrestling a few nights a week. AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW on Thursday, and WWE SmackDown on Friday. This week I will be adding to that the WWE Royal Rumble on Saturday. So if you're interested in any of that, please do stop by over in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com and you can find my work. There is no UFC event on Saturday, as already mentioned. We will be back here next week, however, to preview... UFC Fight Night, uh, UFC on ESPN Plus 58. Uh, That will be coming your way February 5th and is headlined by a pretty good middleweight fight, actually, between Jack Hermanson and Sean Strickland. Uh, The rest of that card, well, it ain't great. 
but we'll give you a full preview next week so you can hear my thoughts on all of those fights. Yeah, Sam Alvey. Why? Sam Alvey. Why? Why is Sam Alvey still in the UFC? You guys are cutting people left, right, and center for, uh, you're almost as bad as WWE in that respect for budgetary reasons, but you've still got Sam Alvey here. Uh, I, guess oh, the, I guess the pandemic saved him. He's on a five-fight losing streak. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, the pandemic has caused a lot of craziness in this sport. A you lot could, of weirdness. You could hire, for what the UFC pays people coming off the Contender Series and what they pay Sam Alvey, you could cut Sam Alvey and hire like six other fighters. Robert is anti-fighter, hashtag cancel Robert Winfrey. No, Robert is anti-Sam Alvey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, shop, I'm shop, sorry. Shop. If you're listening, Sam Alvey, I apologize. Have a good fight for once in, in the last like three years, and I'll reconsider my position. <laughs> God, he's been like in part of the worst fights of the year for three or four I years mean, in a l- row. There, there was a there was a period where I was like, okay, you know, Sam Alvey earned his spot for a little yeah. while. I completely agree that, with that. That time is that time has long passed. That yeah, that's more the issue. Like I, I'm not going. How did this guy ever make it to the UFC? He was good for a while and uh, had some had some good knockouts. Like he had a good winning streak at one point. But it's 2022, not 2016. Uh, oh, Shavkat Rachmanov is on that card. Okay. Now now I'm interested. I like Rachmanov. Anyway. Full preview of that event next week right here on the 411 Grounded Pound MMA podcast, as well as a discussion of whatever news happens to break. You all know the deal here, and that's when we'll be back. So on behalf of Jeffrey Harris, I'm Robert Winfrey, thanking you all once again for being here. Until next time, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.